0: Well, good morning. So good to see you. I really look forward to Sundays and Wednesdays. I get to see you all. Romans chapter 8, as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit this morning. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at the first half of the chapter today, and then next Sunday, the second half of the chapter And we're actually not even going to start at the beginning of the chapter today. I I want to begin in verses 7 and 8 this morning of Romans chapter 8. The first part of this chapter, Paul is contrasting, making a distinction between the flesh and the spirit. And he's basically reminding Christians, because that's who he's talking to, that's who his audience is that, yes, we still have the flesh. We don't get rid of the flesh when we become a Christian and accept Christ as our Savior. But we do now have the indwelling Holy Spirit who allows us to, in a sense, circumvent or override our flesh so that we're not just trying to navigate life in the flesh like those who do not have a relationship with God. Because as we're going to see... That's pretty exasperating and frustrating and actually impossible as far as pleasing God goes. But you and I have the spirit that can enable us to do what our flesh could never do. It's actually impossible. I wanted to start out in verses 7 and 8 because in being a pastor for 33 years and just being around other Christians and talking to other Christians, one of the things that I've come to learn is that many Christians really do live in some ways a, a sort of a circular life. In the sense that they never feel like they, they get on a linear path and make progress, that, it, that it's always going back around and, and struggling with the same old things over and over again. And it, it's just this circular thing where they're just living in a circle. And, and that they get very discouraged and and frustrated and exasperated living that way. Because I think they realize that if they have the Spirit, that's not really what God intended for our life to be. That's not living the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And what is the cause of that? Why are so many Christians living that way rather than this way? It's really because we have failed at some point to teach about the Spirit of God, it is that we as Christians fail in learning to relate to the Spirit of God, which is also very evident because we as human beings seem to really struggle to relate to even one another. So that's why sometimes it's hard for us even as Christians to relate to God because we struggle to relate to anything or anyone in our life. To have, you know, this healthy, vibrant relationship if you if you will so what is the cause of this well the cause is that even though as christians i have the spirit i can choose to try to navigate life in the flesh and i want you to notice what paul says to the roman christians In Romans 8, verse 7, first of all, he says, and we'll come back to these and relate them to other things later, but he says, the outlook of the flesh, that human nature that every human being has, including Christians, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God. And then notice these next words, nor is it able to do so. Please understand that the flesh is not able to surrender or submit to God. It can't. Please keep that in mind. Then notice what he says in verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He could not be any clearer. He could not be any plainer. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying. And this is where so many Christians, I think, again, we, we live the circular life rather than the linear life. Because we, all of our Christian life, We're trying to whip our flesh into shape. We're we're trying to reform our flesh. We're trying to train our flesh. We're trying to make our flesh do what the Bible says it cannot do. So for weeks and months and years, Christians will go, I've got to overcome my flesh because here's where my flesh wants to go, and here's where my flesh wants to live. And they spend all this energy and effort trying to make their flesh do what God says it's impossible for the flesh to do. God never asks us to work on our flesh. Our flesh is irredeemable. Our flesh is untrainable. Our flesh will never submit or surrender to God. It will never please God. What the Christian is equipped to do, though, through the Spirit, is simply forget your flesh. Yield to the Spirit, and you and I will then be able to experience life as God meant it to be. We spend so much time trying to beat down the flesh rather than focusing on yielding to the Spirit. And when, as a Christian, I choose to try to keep reforming my flesh... Rather than yielding to the Spirit, here's what my life is going to look like. I'll never really make progress, or I'll make a little bit of progress, but then come right back to the wheel again and keep battling and fighting the same things over and over again. Because I keep trying to make my flesh do what God's Word says it's impossible to do. That's why Paul is talking here to these Roman Christians about the greater things that we have in the Spirit and through the Spirit. Trying to get them and get us to see. Quit trying to, again, whip your flesh into shape whenever it cannot be whipped into shape. Learn to relate to, connect to, yield to, and submit to the Spirit of God that God has placed in you. That's when things will really begin to take off in our Christian life. So I hope that will be an encouragement to many of you. You see, even for someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they can try to sort of, again, train their flesh or reform their flesh. The thing is, it's never sustainable. Because, again, the flesh will always revert back to its old ways and its old habits. It cannot be trained to keep going in a certain direction, especially toward right things and toward God. It will always divert and default back to those old habits that, that always just sort of hang over and hang out there. Our old way of thinking. So Paul sets forth in this chapter all the greater things that we have in our relationship with God that... Are separate, if you will, from the flesh, distinct from the flesh, yes, part of the flesh because God placed his spirit within this fleshly body, but it is superior to the flesh, and therefore we can again circumvent our flesh or override our flesh. So, what's the first thing that we have that's greater? Well, look at chapter 8, verse 1. We have a greater position. Notice Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Key words there, in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, as a Christian now, I have been placed in Christ Jesus. I have a position with God that I never had before I came to Christ. As Paul said to the Romans in Romans 5, we have been declared righteous before God by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have peace with God and we now are placed in Christ. And when you and I are placed in Christ and Christ is in God the Father and the Holy Spirit is in us, then we have available to us all the resources of the Godhead of the entire Trinity. That's why Paul, or Peter said, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Uh, that's why Paul said to the Ephesians, you have been spiritually, positionally raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Paul wants the Romans and wants us to know we now have this greater, superior position that puts us in such a better place than trying to just navigate life in the flesh. We are not just now in the flesh as Christians. We now are in Christ and now have his spirit living within us. And notice one of the things that Paul says here. He wants to remind them and us that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in positionally Christ Jesus. The words condemnation speak about A guilty verdict that is coming. And basically what Paul's saying to the Roman Christians and to us is you realize because you are in Christ, you never have to worry or be concerned about a guilty verdict from God. Because God placed that guilty verdict, if you will, on Jesus Christ, our substitute, when Jesus went to the cross in our place. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for that moment in time, he who knew no sin, Jesus, the Son of God, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And he took that guilty verdict that was coming to us on himself and God the Father pronounced him for that moment in time guilty because he took our sin. But now that we are in Christ, and we have accepted his substitutionary death for us, we never have to worry about a guilty verdict ever coming. In fact, if you study this in the original language, in the Greek, it not only means, not is there now a guilty verdict, but there never will be a guilty verdict. Because sometimes Christians struggle with that. Well, I know when I was saved, I was pronounced not guilty, but what if I do something later on? No, no, no. If you and I are in Christ, then that's good for all of eternity. I, I cannot be born into God's family and then born out of God's family any more than you and I can be born physically into a family and then somehow go back and be born out of that family. It's impossible. Once you are physically born into a family, you're born into that family. Now again, you you might not like that family. You might not relate very well with that family. But you can't be unborn once you're born into that family. And the same thing is true with a Christian. God will never pronounce guilt upon anyone who is in Christ. Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all of our sin for all time. And God, therefore, positionally says not guilty now nor ever. You see, the position that God wants us to know and have is not a precarious position. Because God understands you and I live in a world where every position that we hold, everything that we hold is pretty precarious whether you're talking about a job a position at work our position in society our position here and there it can all change in in just a few seconds things can change very rapidly and therefore that's why many people when they don't have faith in God and the foundation of their life is not God that's part of the reason why they live in fear all the life that's totally, obviously logical and understandable, because their whole life is built on things that are precarious. I could lose this. I could lose that. This might go away. And that's exactly true. And that's why God comes along and says, you realize that through Christ, you have a greater position that puts you down in a very settled foundation that makes you totally stable because it's not a position that you can ever lose or be removed from. Once you and I are in Christ, we are in Christ for all time. And so Paul starts out there, but Paul doesn't obviously end there. Paul also says, not only do we have this greater position, we have this greater power now. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, for the law or the principle of the life-giving spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free, released us. From the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law could not do. I love those words, God achieved. With God all things are possible. Nothing is too hard for God, the Bible says. That God can do what we or anything else cannot do. Because he is the almighty God. He is all-powerful. And he's telling Paul here, Christians in Rome, and wants us to know as Christians today that we now, through the Spirit, have a greater power to live by than just trying to, you know, make our flesh do what our flesh really doesn't want to do, you see. He says, you now have the law or principle of this life-giving Spirit in you that has set you free. You don't have to live in sin any longer. We can choose to sin as a Christian, but we don't have to live there because the power of sin is not as great as the power of the Spirit who lives within us. Paul says that earlier on in the book of Romans. And then he says, oh, and you don't have to live in fear of death because the Spirit has set you free from all this anxiety and worry and concern and fear of death because you now have a greater power operating within you than the power of the flesh and what the flesh can bring think of it in terms of sky harbor airport and air travel we know that god created the universe with the law of gravity and yet we know that any of us that go down to Sky Harbor and either watch a plane take off or land or actually get on a plane, we realize, well, the law of gravity is still operational. But the law of aerodynamics or the principle of aerodynamics allows us to be able to override the principle of gravity so that a plane can actually fly, even though gravity is still in place. Paul wants us as Christians to understand that's the same principle about how the Spirit can override the law of sin and death in our life. That e- Even though we're still human, and we still have the flesh, that because we have the Spirit, the Spirit then is in a sense equated to the law of aerodynamics with a plane, it always is able to rise above our flesh. Therefore, as a Christian... If I'm living at this low level, it's only because I choose to. Because through the Spirit, I can rise. I can fly above living at this level. Because now I have a greater power. I have the power of God himself through his Holy Spirit who lives in me. And it is there, he is there, to set me free To be able to experience real freedom so that I don't have to live at this level, but I can live at the level God always created me to live at, you see, and experience that greater life. So Paul is saying, you as a Christian, yes, you're in the flesh, but because you have Christ as your Savior, you now are operating from a greater position you have a greater power and then look with me over in chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 we also have a greater progress that can be made through the spirit he says God achieved what the law could not because it was weakened through the flesh Romans 8, verse 3, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and concerning sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Now, first of all, notice, God doesn't set us free to not meet the requirements of his laws of his principles of of a certain way of living of his standard of living that's again where so many christians today they they've either been taught wrong or they've come to a wrong conclusion about their study of the scriptures because they always come back with well you know the old testament was the law period and now the new testament is grace and therefore i don't have to obey any laws I don't have to meet any kind of standard or requirement. I can just do whatever I want to do. No, as I shared last week, the New Testament is one fourth the size of the Old Testament, but there are twice as many commands in the New Testament as there are in the Old Testament. Twice as many. See, God didn't set me free to be lawless. God didn't set me free to satisfy sin and and self. God set me free to be free from sin and self so that I could truly become who He created me to be and saved me to be. That's what real freedom is, you see. And so Paul makes it very clear that God still expects us to meet the righteous requirements of his principles, of of the laws, of the commands that he has placed in Scripture. Verse 4. But there's no way we can do it, Paul said, in the flesh. It's only by walking in the Spirit that I can live the way God teaches me to live and expects me to live. Only by that. And I want you to focus on this phrase, walk By the spirit that speaks of progress. The word walk means that God enables me to achieve progress in life because I'm walking and I'm not walking alone. I'm always walking with the companion of the spirit of God who lives in me, who can enable me to do what the flesh could never achieve or accomplish. It's all about progress. You see, when you and I walk, that's something that almost every human being can do. And we do it slow, we do it steady, but also it can be sustained. That's why the Bible says, God doesn't expect us to run in the Spirit. Because at least for some of us, like myself, I couldn't sustain that. I couldn't keep that going. God says, look, I'm not asking you to leap, I'm not asking you to jump. I'm not asking you to run. All I'm asking you to do is take each step with me. That's all I'm asking. And that's something that is not insurmountable or, or way beyond or overwhelming for any human being to do. Each one of us can take a step and then another step and another step. The Christian life, according to God, is to be a step-by-step walk with His Spirit. Slow, steady, sustainable progress. And what does that then create? That linear, that line. Instead of living in this circle, where we keep going around in circles, still dealing with the same stuff because we're trying to beat our flesh into a place where our flesh won't go, God says learn to take each step of your life with the dire- under the guidance and direction and leadership of my spirit and soon you will realize instead of living your life in a circle all of a sudden you're making progress and you're starting to walk a straight line and you're getting somewhere. You and I can achieve a greater progress because we have been given a greater position and because we have been given a greater power. But Paul doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 5, he begins to talk about a greater perspective. Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh have their outlook, their mindset, their thought life shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook, their thought life, their mindset, their attitude, their disposition shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death, but the outlook of the Spirit is life and peace think of it again going back to even the illustration of the planes and the whole aerodynamic over the law of gravity and the greater power that as I yield to this greater power in my life Paul says that God will raise me up and give me a perspective to where I can begin to see from a 30,000 foot level cruising at that altitude than trying to figure out life down here in the bushes, if you will, uh, and trying to just go through, in a, in a sense, the, the jungle of life. Because that's the way a lot of people, in fact, all people without Christ, that's the only perspective they can have. They can't see that far in front of them because they don't have the enablement of the superhuman God, the supernatural God, to be able to help them to rise above where they are in life and see out front and any, it's, it's like, this is all I got to deal with. That's why for many, it's just going from one thing to another right in front of them because they, they can't go any further than that. They're incapable of having that kind of outlook. So it's all about just what's here. This is what I've got. And this is all I've got, which is why many of them end up so hopeless and helpless in their situations in life because they can't see above the clouds, if you will. Even Stephen used that in his prayer from the book of Ecclesiastes about how God can give us a, an above-the-sun perspective or above even the cloud perspective. And, and the, the Bible is saying it is through the Spirit that the Spirit of God not only comes into our life to inhabit us and give us a greater power, but He comes in to shape our very thoughts He comes in to shape our thinking and the way we think and the mindset that we have so that we have a certain disposition and attitude that we can face each day with. In a sense, the Holy Spirit helps us keep focused on the things that we should be focused on. And here's why. Because it's only by our sustained focus on certain things that creates the appetites and attitudes of our life, which is why he said the outlook of the Spirit is truly life and peace. The problem, too, again, for many Christians is their focus, they they can't sustain their focus long enough to create an appetite or an attitude. Because they're always, like, flitting from this to that. And they can't sustain a focus on something long enough for it to actually make a difference and, in a sense, cut a deeper groove. I've used that with you all before, going back to those old LP records. Which, by the way, we were driving around. I think we were driving around in Gilbert the other day. Gilbert has a record store now. A store that sells nothing but 33. Yeah, I'm like, wow, everything old is new again. You and I can create those thinking patterns in our life. And over time, the longer we think a certain way, it cuts a deeper groove. And the only way that I can get out of that stinking thinking and and get my thinking to where it should be so that my disposition and attitude changes is to cut a deeper groove. And the Spirit is the one that can shape that in me. He will be there to help me to begin to focus my thinking where it needs to be so that I see... Because can I just say that most Christians that I talk to if they're honest they will admit that the way they get into a pit the the way they get into a bad place is they they find a lot of time alone and they begin to wallow in their own thoughts and their thoughts are not good and they end up tanking because of their thoughts and god is saying through my spirit i can give you a greater perspective Your outlook, your mindset, your disposition, your attitude can all be different if you allow the Spirit of God who lives within you to begin to shape your thoughts and shape your thinking and even what you think about. The Holy Spirit's there to do it all. If we'll yield to Him instead of trying to work on our flesh and get our flesh to do something that it's incapable as we've seen to do. Which is what he goes on there. You'll notice in the context, then he goes right into those verses we talked about at the very beginning about the flesh cannot submit to God. It is not able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then he comes to this, verse 9. We also have a greater partner in life. And we've already alluded to this many times. The partner is the Holy Spirit of God, God himself who lives within each of us. If we are a Christian, notice what he says in verses 8 Or verse 9 and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh alone, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, resides, dwells. The word means literally makes his home in you. See, for every Christian, the Holy Spirit literally has a home. And that home for the Holy Spirit is our human body. He goes on to say, now... If anyone does not have, possess the Spirit of God living or residing or at home in them, then he goes on to say, this person does not belong to him. In other words, that person does not have a personal relationship with God. The mark of a Christian is not our confession of salvation, because anybody can make a false confession. Anybody can say, I'm saved, I know the Lord. The mark of our salvation is not baptism. In fact, baptism is the first step of obedience for a Christian, but it's not the mark of salvation. Many people have been baptized and won't go to heaven. The mark of our salvation isn't that I know the Bible. I know verses in the Bible. I can quote the Bible. I know the Bible. That's not the mark of because there have been many people who know the Bible. Who knows the Bible better than Satan or the demons? They won't go to heaven. The mark of a Christian is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That cannot be faked. That, that can't be fooled, if you will. That, that can't be manipulated. If a person has the Holy Spirit living in them, then that means they are in Christ. They have a greater position. That means the spirit of, of this, the spirit of this life giving spirit, they have a greater power. They also can make greater progress because they're walking every day, taking their steps with the Spirit. And they have this greater perspective because the Spirit is shaping their their literal minds. But if one can have all these other things and not have the Spirit, then the Bible says they do not belong to God. There is no relationship there. Because the mark of a true relationship with God is the presence of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And I say this now positively. Can you imagine what a partner we have? Every day as a Christian, you and I get to wake up and do our day with God living in us. Every day. We've got the God of the universe. And again, we've already talked about the Holy Spirit is equal to Jesus, the Son of God, and to God the Father. He is in no way, you know, deficient. So we've got God living in us. In fact, notice he goes on to describe the Spirit here in verse 9 as the Spirit of Christ. Why does he describe the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ? Because I, I shared this many months ago. That puts a face on the Spirit. Because many times when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, even for Christians, we're like, is that Casper the Friendly Ghost? And, you know, we're thinking this, ooh, you know, weird thing. And, and he's not really a person. He's just a force or something like that. And so God says, no, no, no. If you want to put a face on the Spirit, then just think of Jesus. Because as Jesus was, so is the Spirit. They are They are three distinct persons, but they are one God. And therefore, if you want to know... Who the Spirit is? Well, think of Jesus. The way Jesus was is the way the Spirit will be, and the way the Father is, because they are all one. But we have God as our partner every day. That's why, can you imagine how it grieves God whenever he hears a child of his say, I can't do this, God, because you you haven't given me enough. I, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough help, I don't have enough support. And God says, what more do you want me to do for you? I placed myself inside of you. At any point, you can yield to the Spirit of God. You can have that greater power through your greater position. You can make greater progress. You can have a greater perspective. God lives in us. And then finally, we have a greater prospect. Prospect those who don't know christ as their savior all they have to look forward to is this life that's it and for many of them it's like that's why they dread death because it's like for them death is it death is the end they put my body into the ground in some grave or they cremate me and that's it that's the end of my existence it's just about this life god says no Because when the Spirit comes to indwell us, He also heightens our awareness of eternity every day. That's one of the ministries of the Spirit. He always heightens our awareness that there's more to come. There's more to come. There's more to come. And notice what He says in verse 11. Moreover, if the Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then the One who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through the Spirit who lives in you. By the way, verse 11 is the longest title of the Holy Spirit in the whole Bible. The Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead. That's a long title, isn't it? But he's saying, look, if you believe that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, then you've got to come to terms with the fact that that very same Spirit is going to make your mortal bodies immortal. Immortal. And that this is not the end. And that God is going to glorify that body. And that when it is time for you to die, you will die in the comfort and hope that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And even throughout your life, you will be comforted and be filled with the hope that though my outward man is perishing, the inner man, the real me, is being renewed day by day. And that God hasn't built me just for this life. God has built me and you for eternity. And God doesn't just have a plan for you and me for earthly life. God has a plan for you and me for all of eternity. Because God wants to spend eternity with us. What a prospect. It's something that the Spirit wants us to live in light of every day. I'm going to take your mortal body one day that's dying and I'm going to bring it alive just like Jesus came out of that grave. Wow. And it I'm doing that so that you will have this glorified body that you'll be able to exist in for all of eternity. In fact, you don't have to keep your finger in Romans 8. We're going to close with this. Would you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and begin following with me at verse 50. Here Paul's talking about this resurrection of our body. And the culmination of it all, is Paul says, this fact should actually motivate us and inspire us to be the Christians that we should be every day because we're living not just in light of this earthly life, we're living in light of eternity. Paul says, now this is what I am saying. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, a metaphor for death, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling or blinking of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then... Based on all this information I've given you, Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Basically, Paul's saying, put all your effort and energy into the kingdom of God in seeking Him first. It will never be a waste of your time, Paul said. You will never get to eternity and a million years from now and 10 million years from now and 20 million years from now and all of that and go, I regretted living for Christ. That will never be the case. What will be the case many times is there will be Christians who go into eternity who wish they would have lived with different priorities in their life. Because a lot of what they ran after in this life was simply perishable, temporal, material, physical things that really in eternity didn't matter instead of living for what really mattered. Paul said when you and I live in light of eternity every day and what God wants to do even with our mortal bodies, Paul said it should make a difference in our Christian life every day. We should be firm. We should be settled. We should always be abounding in the work of the Lord because Paul said, you know, that whatever you do, laboring for the Lord, it will not be in vain. It will not be empty. It will not be worthless. It will never be a waste of time. Could we stand, please, in prayer? God, I pray today that just as you use this message from the Apostle Paul to stir the hearts of Christians in Rome many thousands of years ago, that, God, you would use this message today to stir our hearts as well. Help us to no longer live in the flesh if it's possible for us to live in the Spirit. And I pray today that if there's someone here that they know that they don't have the Spirit of God living within them and therefore they know that they don't have a personal relationship with God because that's the real mark of a personal relationship with God. Everything else can be faked. You can't fake possession of the spirit, that they would seek someone out that they trust and that they know to talk to them about how can I know Jesus is my savior? How can I know for sure that the spirit of God lives within me? Because until the spirit comes in, the only way you and I can navigate life is in the flesh, trying to get our flesh to always do what it really doesn't want to do. God says to his people you don't have to live at that low level anymore (laughs) you can live on a much higher level through my spirit that I've given to you when we begin to see the greater position and power and perspective and partner and prospect that we have through the spirit of God how can we choose to keep living at the level we're living Before we sing this last song, let me ask you today, those of you who are present here at the Oasis, God said, I want you to learn to walk according to the Spirit. Just take step by step with my Spirit. So I think it's very appropriate that today we would end before this last song by asking, what is that next step that God's Spirit wants you and me to take with Him. We don't have to take that step alone, never. It's always in conjunction, being accompanied by the Holy Spirit of God. He'll walk with us. He'll take that step with us. But we've got to choose it. We've got to willingly say, because the Spirit will not force us to go where we really don't want to go. So the question today is, what is that next step God wants you to take with Him. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.